0: Welcome to Breakthrough Radio, a global business radio show where smarter strategies deliver breakthrough results by adding an entrepreneurial touch, driving today's profits. Now, get ready for three powerful breakthrough segments with Michelle Price.
1: Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening depending on where you're tuning in to Breakthrough Radio from. This is Michelle Price here, where we're coming to you from the third coast of Houston, Texas today. And on Breakthrough Radio, we're celebrating nine years of talking about how to master the inner as well as the outer game of business. I am tremendously excited to bring you Daniel Burris today and his new book, The Anticipatory Organization. So please join me as we welcome Daniel to Breakthrough Radio. How are you doing today, Daniel?
0: Hey, I'm doing great, and thanking, thank you for having me on.
1: Oh, it, it's a pleasure having you on. I have to say... Even though we've got 24% listeners globally and the rest in North America, there's quite a few of them are pretty tired this morning after staying up for one of the longest World Series games last night. <laughs>
0: yeah, no kidding. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. Daniel, we but... have...
1: <laughs> no, go ahead. we've long We've long discussed the advantages of being anticipatory instead of reactionary here on Breakthrough Radio. You know, we've, we've also watched uh, many strong companies keep making the same mistakes over and over, and frankly, sometimes we wonder if we're talking to a, a van, uh, you know, into a vacuum sometimes. So how do you anticipate your book being able to help today's companies really step into the mindset and the actions needed to grow and thrive in this new business economy?
0: Well, thank you for mentioning a very powerful word in that, and that is the word mindset. You know, if you change your mindset, you can change your results. And I don't worry so much about legacy technology. That is the old stuff. I worry more about legacy thinking. Uh, When we are looking at the future, we're really glancing at our rearview mirror more than using the windshield. Because uh, we're at a unique point in history right now that we've never been at ever before. And I think we tend to see all the crisis and manage the crisis and put out fires and and rather than see the amazing opportunities ahead. And it's one of the reasons I wrote the book. And unlike a lot of authors that write the book and then develop some systems around there and see how it works, what I did is I launched several years ago a learning system for uh, leaders and executives and entrepreneurs. Uh, called the Anticipatory Organization. It very quickly became a uh, Product of the Year award winner. It's being used at the Pentagon for leadership training and for organizations all over the world. And it's done so well, I decided i got to turn this into a book. So actually, everything in the book has already produced amazing results. It's just now in book form. And, and by the way, in, uh, the key here, uh, the whole thing, is we tend to think agility is our biggest strategy for dealing with rapid change, uh, and of course agility is reacting quickly after the fact, after a problem, after a disruption. But I would say, you know, did, uh, did uh, the people that came up with uh, the multi-billion dollar idea of Airbnb or Uber, did they use agility? And the answer is no, and Bezos from Amazon doesn't use agility either. And Apple doesn't use agility. All the people that are disrupted by them have to use agility. What I'm teaching is the new competency in this book for individuals as well as for entrepreneurs and business, and that is how to anticipate accurately a couple of things. Disruptions before they disrupt, which allows you to turn disruption into a choice. It allows you to uh, anticipate problems before you have them, so you can pre-solve them instead of just going ahead and having them and best of all, to see the amazing opportunities that are right there uh, in front of us.
1: Well, you've written something that, that really caught my attention uh, as I was going through and underlining and circling things in your book, and that is skipping a problem is sometimes better than solving it. And I'm just really curious, how did you come to that conclusion? What's the story behind that?
0: Well, and that uh, you know, I've got uh, 25 different strategies in the book. That's one of, one of many that is a killer strategy. And I came about that because, as you know, I've started six companies. Actually, five were profitable in the first year. Four were national leaders in the first year. And one of the ways I did that is by skipping a lot of problems. So there's a couple of elements to skipping problems. Let me just give them to you very quickly so you know what I'm talking about. First of all, I'd like you and all of our listeners right now To think of your biggest problem can be personal, can be uh, professional. Think of your biggest problem. Now, here's the point I'm making. It's the wrong problem. That's why you can't solve it. Hey, you're smart. You would have solved it by now. I've never met a problem that that you couldn't solve if you had been working on the right one. So the key is part one of the two parts to problem skipping is skipping the problem you think it is. For example, I need a lot of money to do this. Well, that's not the problem. You've got to dig down. To f- if you think money's your problem, that's why money's always your problem, because that's really not it. Let me give you a quick example of that so you know what I'm talking about. A simple example, actually. Uh, a couple of, um, about a week ago, I had my uh, niece, Hallie. She's got her first job. And she called me and said, I've got a problem, Uncle Dan. And I said, Yeah, you know, what is it? She said, You know, I've been really trying to save money, but I can't save money at all. I'm trying really hard. And she knows it's possible because her older sister Audrey can save money like crazy, but Hallie can't. And I said, "Well, the reason you're having trouble, Hallie, is you're you're working on the wrong problem. You got to work at how you spend money. If you instead of working at saving, if you work at how you spend money, you'll save money by default." See, she thought she was on the right thing, but she wasn't. The second element, and there's more to it, but I'm giving it to you quickly. There's uh, the other part of problem skipping is to skip it altogether. And, uh, for example, I was just on the call with the Pentagon um, before you because I'm a strategic advisor to uh, to the uh, leaders there, and um, they uh, wanted to do something, but they can't uh, get through their um, all their barriers and all of their uh, IT um, structures to be able to do what uh, they want to do. So we are skipping all their IT structures and gave them a way to do it without going through all those IT structures. See, they're just, that's how we always did it. Instead of, wait, actually, there's another way to do that in just a secure way. So I can't give you all the details of that, obviously, but the point is, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that we think we need. I've never had, uh, I started out teaching biology and physics, which means I didn't have any money. And when I started my first company, I didn't use uh, funding. I didn't go to a bank. I didn't get investors. Matter of fact, I've never done that with all six companies. You think you need to do all these things? And I would say, do you? If uh, it's kind of like uh, you know, in the book, I've separated what I call hard trends. These are future facts, from soft trends, and those are assumptions. And let me give you a really good example of the difference, because a, a lot of times we think a soft trend, which is an if or maybe, is a future fact, and therefore we don't try to change it. I was just speaking at a giant healthcare care conference, all these CEOs and, and heads of hospitals and so on from the United States, and they all think the increasing cost of health care is a future fact, unchangeable. No, it isn't. But if you think it is, you won't try to change it. For example, what if we use the latest technologies to completely transform purchasing and logistics with all hospitals? You could flush billions of dollars of waste out. What if we use blockchain to bring trust and transparency to hospital visits and using healthcare providers? You would find out quickly that why would I want to pay $60 for an aspirin? See, it, it, we could flush billions of dollars of waste out of that. So, in other words, it's really important to know the difference between a hard trend future fact, this is something that will happen guaranteed, giving you certainty in an uncertain world, from the soft trends that are the ifs and maybes, these things might happen. And, by the way, strategy based on certainty has low risk. Strategy based on uncertainty has high risk. So, in a world of uncertainty, I like to ask, what am I certain about? And it's amazing how much you can find. That's one of the uh, key elements to the uh, book that I've just put out.
1: You know, Daniel, it's interesting because as I'm listening to you, one of the things that's surfacing in my mind is how many times I hear people asking the wrong questions. And, and, and I don't want to approach it from a, an accusatory perspective, but what can we do as leaders and as entrepreneurs, especially uh, in the because that's where people are, are really being able to disrupt. Yet I still see a lot of people, even in that space, starting off asking the wrong questions. So I love the fact that you honed in on how important your mindset is at the very beginning of our conversation because I think that that's the key that not enough people are looking at. So. What would you share with listeners today about mindset and how they can use that to help them from the very beginning, the impetus, the seed of everything, instead of trying to find ways to shift it later on?
0: Well, with what you just said, first of all, I can tell why you have such a great show, because you are a very good thinker and uh, share... Uh, really powerful things, cause it, and, and one of them is asking better questions. You know, if you ask a better question, you get a better answer. But I just mentioned health care. Let me give you an example. <clears throat> health care reform in the United States was really, so far, health payment reform. In other words, how do we pay for that big mess uh, that the baby boomers are going to create as they get older? And, uh, and it didn't give you a better knee. It didn't give you a better outcome. Um, So instead of how do we pay for it, I would like to look at how do we transform all the systems to lower the cost and increase the outcome. By the way, I'm working with a major drug company right now as a strategic advisor using the principles from my AO book. I say AO, meaning the anticipatory organization book. And uh, one of the things we're doing in the drug company is changing, and this is not just change, it's transformation. We're asking a better question, and that is, Instead of charging for the drug, we're going to charge for the outcome. Because right now we've got a, dis, a disconnected healthcare ecosystem. Because if you're a drug company, once the drug is sold, who cares? Hey, we got our money. Let's go on and make more drugs. But if it was the outcome, I really, if I'm a drug company, I really care that the doctor is making sure they're prescribing the right drug for the right person. I would really care about the pharmacy and making sure that your over-the-counter drugs as well as your prescription drugs won't interact negatively with the drug that, I, uh, that my patient is taking. You see what I mean? It, it's uh, game-changing. So, um, And we need to get to where we're really looking, outcomes rather than just uh, what we're doing. One more quick example to answer your question about better questions. If you're thinking about your next uh, mobile device, like, gee, should I get the iPhone 10 that's just coming out, or should I get the new Samsung? Wrong questions. Those are low-level questions. A better question would be, how can I use mobility to transform how I sell, how I market, how I communicate, how I collaborate, how I innovate, how I train, how I educate, how I pay for things? In other words, how can I use mobility to transform every process that I'm involved with? Uh, You know what? You're going to get much better answers. So once again in the book, I, I elevate the conversation and show you how to do that.
1: You know, it's something that I've noticed, Daniel, is that, and especially since both Jeff Shuey and Yared Akalu, who are two guest hosts, who talk about the intersection of people and technology in the future of workforce here on Breakthrough Radio on different Mondays. Um, we chat about everything that is coming up. Um, we chat about things like AI and machine learning, and, and you know, I love the fact that you're talking about blockchain because too many people are talking about it. And <clears throat> except what is it, I don't understand it, which, you know, we do our best to help people learn and, and, and put them in a position to be able to, to uh, operate from a strength instead of a weakness. Um, you have something to add to that conversation when we hear listeners being concerned about the viability of what's going to happen in business when uh, robots and the AI and machine learning start becoming an everyday part of business, they're seeing it as something that's going to strip them from the arena. And it's amazing me how many times people aren't asking better questions around these topics. Uh, and, and so I, I would love to just kind of throw that at you to, to share with listeners a little bit about your thoughts around that so that they will maybe back up and start asking different questions
0: instead. Yes, exactly. And uh, and by the way, uh, a, a free resource for everyone on subjects like what's the future of AI and blockchain and things like that, if you just went to B-U-R-R-U-S, com. I have a weekly blog with a couple of million weekly readers because I think the content is good. That costs you nothing, so you could find out more. So let's talk about AI, and let's even talk about autonomous vehicles for just a second because that is an application of AI. And that is uh, Elon Musk just made a prediction. He's the Tesla uh, guy. Uh, that by 2025, no car sold will have a steering wheel. And unfortunately, he'll be wrong because he didn't read my book. So let me tell you why he's wrong and why you, as a listener, as well as Elon, could be better if you uh, understood these principles. So can you imagine in 2025 Porsche or Ferrari selling a car without a steering wheel? What are they going to do? Say it's got nice seats? Give me a break. Uh, You see, I've got, I've had a Tesla for over a year and you know what? I barely ever turn on the auto drive. Why? I like the drive. You know what I don't like? Accidents. So what we're really going to do is eliminate accidents rather than take the steering wheel away. By the way, if you're over 30 years old are you going to want to sit in a car going 80, 80 miles an hour that has no steering wheel or a way to take over control in case of attack, I would say, no, that ain't going to happen. So, The key here is we're going to eliminate accidents. And you might, uh, so you know that 83% of uh, accidents are caused by blind spots, and we're going to not allow you to hit that car next to you, you can't pull out into it. It'll say, nope, sorry, can't hit that car, sorry. And and what are you going to say, bummer, I wanted to have that accident? Uh, I was just talking to a CEO (laughs) of a hospital, and, and the CEO of the hospital has over 30 hospitals under his control. And I explained to him that when the next five years were not only will the new cars not let you have an accident, but there's even a way to retrofit old cars to do that. And I said, will that have an impact on your emergency rooms because you've got, you know, that many hospitals? And he said, oh, yeah, that'll have a huge effect. I said, have you built that into your planning? He said, no. I said, do you think you need to? And he said, absolutely. In other words, he didn't even realize those changes. When it comes, let me introduce a brand-new term. For everyone listening, and um, I have as a matter of fact, I'm just about to write a blog on it. I'm going to give you a preview of it very quickly. I call it symbiotic AI, symbiotic computing. In the biological world, there are a lot of creatures that rely on another creature to live with it to help it survive. That's called symbiosis. It's a quick science lesson. Without getting into the details, AI and humans are going to be symbiotic. And here's the example to make that come to life because, in reality, I'm a storyteller. I think that's why my books do well. And that is, right now, IBM's Watson supercomputer knows more about oncology than any doctor of oncology. So if you had a loved one that had cancer, right now, I'm going to give you three choices. A really good oncologist without Watson. Choice two, just the supercomputer and no human. And choice three, a really good oncologist who has access to Watson. You see, that's symbiosis. That's where we're going with it. So I think it doesn't mean let's eliminate humans. It's how do we enhance our human interface. And, by the way, if you've got a kid or even yourself, you've got to ask, what are the things that will allow me to beat the machine as the machine gets smarter? And, of course, what are we talking about? Interpersonal relationships. Interpersonal relationships your listening capabilities, creative problem solving, your ability to uh, communicate, your ability to collaborate. You know, machines are not very good at those things. So I think we should all be thinking about what are the human traits? Because we live in a technical world, but here's an insight for everyone. We live in a human world that's based on relationships, and good relationships are based on trust. In other words, it's not just going to be a machine world. It is a human world. So let's get better at the human parts.
1: So I can totally see how elevating one's view for the future is going to allow people one to ask better questions and two to start thinking about how they're going to be positioning themselves, their business, or their solutions in order to be able to play in that arena. What do you think catches most people, you know, that what what causes them to trip when it comes to the type innovation that they need to be operating
0: in? Well, uh, the biggest worry I have for all of our listeners right now is that you're all busy. And today, you can busy yourself right out of a job. You can busy yourself right out of business. Um, why didn't a cab driver think of Uber? Why didn't Marriott think of Airbnb? And the reason is they're all busy doing what they've always done. Uh, but the world has changed. Have you noticed? That's why I wrote this book. Because actually there's a mountain of opportunity. It's fogged in by the fog, and the great fog is the news, and you watch it way too much, and you listen to it way too much. Um, you also, And are you getting the news you need? That's why I think a program like yours is so important. Uh, and congratulations on that because what you're doing is trying to not to provide a counterbalance to the fog and actually provide the news you need to be able to thrive in the future rather than just crisis manage and survive. So rather than just put out fires and crisis manage, I want all of our listeners and all the readers to be opportunity managers of their life. I want us to not live in hope because hope isn't a strategy. I want us to actively shape a better future, for ourselves, our families, and for others. Uh, so, if we want a more enlightened future, if we want a more human future, a more connected future, um, you know what? Hope isn't going to work. Let's roll up our sleeves. As a matter of fact, I'm going to—I've done something for your, uh, for all of our listeners right now. Something special, and I, I think this is a good time to just mention it. I think and know this book is so good. It's already been number one in hot new books on Amazon. I think this book is so good. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give every listener a free copy, a hardcover copy of this book. All you have to do is go to the, T-H-E, book bookcom and I've got a couple of bucks for shipping. Uh, it's going to be FedEx to you. I'm not making any money on the shipping, and I'm actually lose, losing money in every single book. And then, by the way, why am I doing that? I'm doing that because I think you, the listener, are going to like this book so much, you're going to tell your friends, they're going to go out and buy it, and I'm going to be doing fine. I believe in the book so much, you know what, I'm giving you a hardcover book, I'm going to ship it right to you. TheAOBook.com.
1: Well, we weren't expecting that, Daniel.
0: (laughs) Well, yeah, see, but let me just say, there's something you just said there that's important. I think the reason retail is dying it's boring. Uh, the reason banks are closing, hey, they're boring. Go into a bank. How boring is that? But they don't have to be. Why don't we do something unexpected? Surprise and delight is what humans love. I just surprised all of our listeners. I just delighted you all. I'm giving you a hardcover copy for free. Wow. Well, you know what? We could be doing that all the time. Why don't we change the game? Um, and that brings me to a really important little thing I'll just mention, and that's our future view. If you are a brick-and-mortar retailer, CEO, and you think the good old days of retail are behind you, what might you do? Well, you'll close 175 stores. By the way, that's what Sears is doing. But if you think the future of brick-and-mortar retail, the good old days, are ahead of us, not behind us. They just look different. You might buy Whole Foods. You might open over 100 bookstores, even though you're the world's biggest virtual bookstore. First, I'm talking about Amazon. Both of those CEOs see a different future, and both will live it out one in crisis, the other in opportunity. So, you know what I'm asking every reader or every listener right now what's your future view of your job? What's your future view of your business, of your career? And I believe you're seeing it with a rear view mirror mindset, and you're going to crisis manage. That's why I'm actually going to give you this book because I don't want you to be a crisis manager. I want you to be an opportunity manager of your life and of your career.
1: I'm still sitting here, can't believe that you just offered that to listeners.
0: <laughs> I did. I, well, that's because I am that convinced. I'm that 100%. You know, i got to be convinced because I, I am losing money. on every, every one of those books cost me money. I don't get books for free. They're hardcover books. They're beautiful books. Yeah. And uh, But I'm that convinced, I know for a fact, that they're going to like it so much they're going to tell a friend and I'll end up selling more books. I know that will well,
1: I'm certain it will if, if people start talking about it. I know I've definitely enjoyed it. But then again, I also know that I really think from a very different mindset. And So one of the things that... I'm just going to hold my hand up. So listeners know when I say I'm going to hold my hand up, that's when we usually share something vulnerable about ourselves. And um, one of my own personal frustrations, Daniel, is how many times I get frustrated because people do, as you frame it, look at things through a rearview mirror instead of looking forward. And what frustrates me is trying to figure out on a daily basis, how to take them and turn them around because they're so resistant to creating what they want, but they don't recognize they're in resistance to it. And frankly, sometimes it's just exhausting trying to show them. Um, what kind of advice would you give the few of our listeners who are in that kind of role? We're, we're the ones who see the gaps and see the opportunities and are trying to get people to, to turn their heads um, that will allow yep. us so that we can all kind of move forward together instead of spending so much time trying to get people to just like turn around, damn it.
0: <laughs> yep, I understand where you're going. Well, there's a couple of things there that are very powerful I can, I can share that are in the book. One of them is stop giving your opinion because, you see, when you give me your opinion, what am I going to want? Eh, I'm going to go get another opinion. What I'd like you to do is to learn how to speak in future facts, because when you hear a future fact, you know it's going to be true. Uh, for example, we just got the, the iPhone 10 is just coming out. Let's talk about the iPhone 15. Do you think it will have faster computing chips in it? Well, yeah, do you know, that is a fact. Yeah, okay, we've got a certainty. Uh, will they be able to get more data in it, or is it full? No, they can get more data in it. And we're putting more and more into the cloud. Well, is the cloud getting full? No. And after 4G wireless and 5G wireless, is that it? No. Actually, we're going to have 6G followed by 7G. And the baby boomers are not going to get younger. Guess what? They're going to continue to get older, and we could see a lot of opportunity by doing that. So, in other words, let's start speaking in future facts rather than in the ifs and maybes and debatable items, and you'll be amazed at what that can do. And then the second answer I want to give you on that, which is another big one, and that is I'd like you to do this. sounds complex, but it's not. A time travel audit of the people you're talking to. You see, some people are past-oriented. Uh, they think the good old days are behind them. Uh, they may still have a flip phone. They don't like the whole idea of all these smartphones and social media. They think it's, the whole world's going to heck. And, they, and then when they look at young people, they wonder how the world will even survive them when they get older. Um, So they're past-oriented. Some people are future-oriented. For example, they buy the latest thing. They've already ordered the iPhone X and and the latest things. Uh, They don't have to wait for companies to provide it. They think the good old days are up ahead. They're excited about it. So when a future-oriented person is talking to a past-oriented person, the past-oriented person hunkers down, protects and defends, because they can't relate. So one of the strategies you want to do is walk into their time zone and go into their time zone and walk them into the future with their permission. Let me give you a very short, quick example, because I think it will help you to see it. Let's say that I'm coming into a person's house, and I'm a heating and air conditioning person who's trying to sell you a new system. Well, I don't know if you're past or future or where you're at, so I might bring in my three-ring binder and my iPad. And as I look around when I get in there, and there's a technique I show you in the book how to do this – Let's say I determine that you're past oriented. So, what am I going to do? I'm going to bring out the three ring binder. Why? Because I'm jumping into your time zone with you where you're comfortable. And as I start to show you the pages in the three ring binder, I would say, you know, I just got this really great program on my iPad and I can show you your actual house in three dimensions and show you exactly what it would look like. Could I show that to you? Are you interested? Now what am I doing now? I'm getting your permission to take me into the future instead of starting with that and having your eyes glass over. Now, I'm giving you a very quick little super quick example, but you get the idea. That is super powerful, and there are many other strategies like that that I give you in the book.
1: I love the time travel audit. Speaking of time travel, there's a question that we ask all the guests who come on Breakthrough Radio, Daniel. They call it our brain download question. It's something that surfaced after being on air for a couple of years, and I've only forgotten to ask it a few times, and Lou in New York has popped me every time I've forgotten. because so I've been well-trained by listeners. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. And,
1: it, and it's, it's funny, actually, how, how the question even came about. You know, it was one of those Saturdays where – you know, I was giving myself a break and, and I was watching a rerun of Star Trek and Spock was about to do his whole mind meld thing and of course I know you have never yelled at the TV but I yelled at the TV and I said you know because when you've watched Spock do mind melds you can like see uh, he's able to like morph into people's entire lives from the beginning to the end and so I yelled at the TV I said I don't care about his entire life and why he's doing what he's doing. I want to know why did he make that decision right now? What caused him to make that choice? And I thought, wait a minute. How cool would that be to learn from guests who come on the radio show who is someone that they would like to have, you know, just a sliver of a vinyl, you know, just a little brain download where they could understand why that person made that decision and that choice. And it could be anybody. It could be someone from the past. It could be someone from the present. It could be someone from the future. So, Daniel, if you could do that, if you could have that little brain download, who would you want to have it with and why?
0: Well, you know, that's a really good question. I like that one. And uh, what I've kind of done over the years is I have read quite a bit about uh, Einstein, Benjamin Franklin, Abraham Lincoln, Gandhi, in other words, some key people in history that were very smart and wise. And having gotten and read a little bit of their biographies and knowing what they are, what I'll do is I'll sit down at a table and I'll have a little card, and that's Gandhi there, that's Abraham Lincoln there, uh, that's Aristotle over there, and then I'll throw out the question uh, to the group, that I've assembled in my mind, and I'll think to myself, what would Lincoln say about this? Because if if you've read anything about Lincoln, you'll actually come up with an answer. And then I'll say, what would Einstein think about this? And you know what? I'll get what Einstein would have thought because I read the biography. I know what he said. And so actually I use them as kind of a virtual uh, team, to help me think through things, I'm trying to think through, and I'm going to tell every listener. It sounds kind of crazy. Wow, is it powerful? Holy cow! So um, instead of picking a whole group of people, why don't you pick one and try that? If I could pick one, I probably would pick Einstein. He was he understood something that uh, most of us don't realize, and that is the highest level concepts are visual. If you've never seen E equals MC squared, you don't understand the concept. Visual. And being able to visualize and see it in your mind's eye is what makes it powerful. And I think that's why the books, the seven books I've written, have done well is I paint verbal portraits with my words when you read. You see it in your mind's eye. I aspire to do that.
1: Well, Daniel, I want to thank you so much for coming on Breakthrough Radio today, allowing us to kind of go beyond those sound bite interviews, take a nice deep dive into some of the things that are in the anticipatory organization and help us like, you know, just get us, get a better understanding of what we can do from the knowledge that you've put in the book. Because I've learned from listeners that they've shared with us, it's allowed them to not just go, yeah, I think that would be beneficial for me to learn from. They've told us they've gone back and listened to the interview again after they've read the book and got a whole new set of lessons. And I'm like, that was brilliant.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, that's so really great. And remember, that. have them go to theaobook.com and get your copy.
1: Well, we appreciate it. I'll make sure to put that link on the blog post so it'll be easier for people in case they're, they're listening and they're not in a place where they can write it down. So, you know, I can't wait, and, and let let's, let me just make a short shout-out. Thank you, Joe Callaway, for introducing the two of us, because this interview wouldn't happen had it not been for him. He's been on Breakthrough Radio a couple of times, and he is a phenomenal uh, person, much less just brilliant huh. in business. So I'm Absolutely. glad you do
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm a fan of Joe's as well, and as a matter of fact, uh, let me just say, I, I love being on your show, and I'm hoping I can get back. I'd love to do this again and talk about uh, taking it oh, to the next level.
1: We would love to have you back, Daniel. Thank you so much, and, and much success with what you're doing right now.
0: Well, thank you, and the same to you.
1: As a closing thought for entrepreneurs and leaders out there looking to gain a competitive advantage and become more anticipatory I invite you to check out TheAnticipatoryOrganization.com to learn how. Daniel has created an award-winning learning system that's helping companies acquire the skills and the insights needed to successfully navigate and profit from the transformational change that lies ahead. For more information, go to www.TheAnticipatoryOrganization.com. This is Michelle Price with Breakthrough Radio, delivering you the best business minds each Monday live. I'm coming to you from the third coast of Houston, Texas, where we work with you business down the street or around the world, telling your dynamic story, attracting your ideal customers. We will talk with you next Monday.